Andamos ciento y pico en la carretera, la baby con los rosaditos en la cartera. Si no vemos Lando es una panamera. Al escuchar el motor la baby se altera. Baby yo soy tu rao, tu mi motor. Hello, my name is Juan José Estrada. My artist and producer name is Jayfo. Uh, today, I'm quite glad. I'm so happy for the opportunity to be here um, with one of the, you know, like the most amazing producers. Like I know, I respect him a lot. He's a, such a great person. And, you know, uh, this is going to be a space for like learning. Apart from um, just getting opinions and questions, it's more about learning so others can, you know, absorb as much as they can from, from this this more, you know, expert. <laughs> um, so, without giving more introduction, Dukus, hello, hello man. How's it going, you good? Yeah, all good, bro. How's oh, it going? Good, good, busy, but good. <laughs> Always working, you never stop. Always working. It's <laughs> <laughs> the motto. Ah, bro, but I'm so happy. Thank you for having me today. Good. Um, you know, I always respect your work. I've been, like, many times when I could just working with you and it's, it's a pleasure today to be here um, and being in, interviewing you. Um, and yeah, I'm so happy. Thank you. Cool, cool, cool. So um, I've got some questions for you. Um, as I told you previously, we got some sections for the interview and I think it's quite important for people to, you know, get this information from you, from your experience and your honesty. And it's so important to, to have this in, um, documented. Sure. Okay, so let's start with the first question. Uh, what does your artist producer name mean and why? Um, Dukas, people, I used to be an idiot in school, so <laughs> people always saying Dufus, such a Dufusy, you know, it was just one of those situations where I used to wear a jacket like from the basketball team Duke. So Duke was like, I used to wear a lot of basketball tops that had Duke, Duke. So eventually it was a case of like, do first, Duke, Dukers. So I merged the names and then I used to play like computer games, like Street Fighter and all these things. So I used to go Trocadero and play arcades. And then they, I entered a tournament and they said, oh, what's your name? And I just wrote down Dukers. And so then that's how I stayed with my name, Dukers. And that's how it is. Yeah, it's a stupid name. You know? <laughs> you know, cause like I was doing some research about you and your life and your work, and it's like I never found anything about it. Like, what does it mean? Is it yeah. is it something with your name or family yeah. or anything like that? Nah, is, it's is just it? a stupid name. I don't, <laughs> no, should no. probably change the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should change the name, but it's mm. important to know what yeah, it means. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's the meaning of your brand. It's the meaning of something you've been working on for a long time so I think it's quite important to know. Yeah, I think in, in English people say do curse, they don't know how to say it, and whereas in Spanish people go ducos. So it's like it's always got like a different sound in, in different languages. <laughs> so in a way I kinda like it because it's it, it's unique, you know? Yeah. No, nobody has that sort of a name when they hear it be like ducos. Like, so it's just weird. <laughs> so I like it because it's weird, you know. Yeah, that, that was a question I had from a long time. Never, <laughs> never got the chance to ask you that, but it's okay. Cool. Thank you. Uh, why did you decide to become a producer and an artist? Um, I know that you got some family background on that, your dad, um, your mom as well. And like you've been growing up with this kind of, you know, context surrounding you. Um, 
but like why why to become a producer and, and an artist like because obviously some people tend to you know take something else do another kind of studies or anything like that after like coming up school or I don't know like what is it apart from from being a passion or I don't know uh, well I was playing piano since I was very young and I would always make up ideas on the piano and then um, my friend used to be a rapper so whenever he used to rap I used to play piano make kind of beatboxing you know beats and mess around and record stuff but then in secondary school is when um, they had like a little studio set up and um, my friend used to rap and I used to make the beats but they weren't that good I learned how to use logic and all this stuff there but um, it was just a case of like I had an idea about how to rap so I kind of first started rapping and um, it wasn't that good I was terrible then I went on to like singing and understanding singing because I used to go to church so uh. when I used to go to church, I learned a lot about singing. I was in the church choir, so I understood a lot about melody, harmonies, where to sing, you know. And then eventually I ended up being like a lead singer in the choir. So that's when I was going to choir, church and all this stuff. But it wasn't for me, but I had the knowledge. So studying piano with my dad from young, being in a choir from young, that helped me understand music a lot. So when it came to like being in school and logic and all this stuff, I could kind of work a little bit fast the ideas. Then eventually I just started producing myself. Um, I started playing with a band. So it was kind of like rock music, but mm. different kind of alternative music. Um, a lot of shouting, you know, I had a mohawk. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, those I pictures. Can't imagine no, you. no, nobody no, no, can no. find those pictures <laughs> deleted from the internet everywhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, you know, that's the kind of music. I learned all kinds of music before I started doing the music that, that people know me for now. So yeah, just wanted to produce myself. I had a lot of good ideas that I kind of wanted to find a way to put those ideas together, you know? Have you ever felt like you were born for it? Or like, you know, I there was a point in your life where you had to realize like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at anything else. I'm just good at this. Or, have you ever thought about it, like, you know? Yeah, no, like, I had, I worked in HMV when I was, like, much younger, like, when I was 17 or 18, and um, it just wasn't for me. Like, I could just tell that I was so bored in that job, and it just wasn't for me. So when I started really pursuing the music, um, I started doing, like, battle rapping and stuff like this. So I learned how to rap, and I would go and battle people on stage, that whole thing. And um, while I was doing all of this and making songs with a lot of people in that scene, a, rec um, a record label, some producers noticed me and my friend, and they wanted to sign us. So we was always around studios, learning from a lot of good producers, a lot of people. Um, but while I was in those studios is when I learned the most about about music and, and, and how to go about doing stuff in the industry. So from when I was 18, I didn't really have any other jobs. I got signed to a label when I was 18 and things didn't go so great. They were all right for maybe a year or two. Then things went really bad, but I made quite a bit of money. Mm. I wrote a song for Craig David. Um, I didn't get any royalties, so, but they gave me a lot of money up front. So, at a young age, I kind of got myself in these situations that made me think, damn, you know, I can do this, I can do this. And um, stopped doing music for a little bit. 
Um, but then again, you know, I got back to the music, you know, like producing and and doing stuff with people to the point where, you know, I realized, you know what, if I if I do this properly, I could actually record people, engineer people, because I understood so many things while I was working in the studios I was working at. So it just became a natural transition where the place where I was living, I set up a little home studio. Um, and yeah, I never went to university or anything like that. It was just a case of, I just knew I had to do music, you know? I, I read that you basically started your business around 2011. Is that right? 20, no, 2011, no. No, I would say I just started in, two, I'd say 2013 is when I got my first opportunity in the industry. Ah, so, okay, okay. So 2011, 2011, I had a little home studio. Ah, okay. And it got burgled. So like they stole <laughs> all my, my equipment, no. all my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to give up, I was just like. So frustrating, man, yeah, like, jeez. Like, all my music, I didn't back it up. I had two laptops, two MacBook Pros. They stole it and I was just like, oh, I want to give up music. I don't want to do music. But then my uncle who passed away, um, he, he, he and my cousin invested in an iMac for me. They said, no, no, you got to keep doing the music and you got to keep pushing, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, you know, that motivated me to work a lot. And that's when, around that time, a couple of years later, is when I met Gigs uh, at XL Recording Studio uh, with another friend. And um, yeah, he gave me an opportunity to mix on the spot. And then he was like, yeah, I want you to mix my album. So that's 2013, 2012 is how I first got into the industry. What a story, man. Yeah. Tr trust me, I got some questions for you later on. Um, um, what are the musical genres that you know the most when composing and producing, like that you feel comfortable with all the time, or I don't know, most of the time? I mean, I understand a lot of hip hop music. Mm -hmm. uh, I say a lot of black music, like drill, R&B. Um, that's the music I grew up with. Um, so I understand that music a lot from the, the 90s hip hop, 2000 hip hop. I kind of really was into that music. Um, then eventually I learned a lot about rock music and R&B, trip hop, like Radiohead and Portishead, like loads of weird kind of groups. So I was listening to so many types of music that that helped me kind of make my style of hip hop a bit unique. So yeah, I feel like hip hop music, rap music, that's the music that I'm known for working on because I know how to, to make that music sound strong, you know? Okay. Thank you. Um, what type of music would you like to learn more about? Like, you, you know, like that you sometimes that you get a client or someone like, can you just produce this for me? And you're like, I would really like to learn how to do that. Like what type of genre of music? Or... I think bachata is like one of the musics that I would really like to understand how to do properly. Because I can't, I know how to play guitar, but just a little bit. I'm not the greatest at guitar. Piano, I can play anything, but like, with guitar, it's like, it's such a unique sound. And obviously you need the guitar for bachata. So it's like without it, it's very tough to, to make a bachata. So that's one music I would like to learn how to do. Like I've not produced a bachata yet. Okay. So that's one area of music that I'm, I see myself doing at some point. Like, would you, would you be able, like open to, like for example, I, I should just show you uh, one of the songs I've been working on with Código Oficial, the, the guys from Bachata. 
And like, if you really want to come and have a look in like how they do it, because he explained me a lot. He knows a lot of the techniques in the guitar, like El Mojao and all that stuff is like... Requinto. Requinto yeah, is like, it's stuff. like, what? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You, you understand it from like in, inside, you know, like consciously, sometimes you can understand it because of the rhythm of it. You grew up with a Latino family and you know how it is. But in terms of like understanding the patterns, the, you know, the percussive stuff, yeah, you know, well, it's... Yeah, because I studied dance as well, so I used to dance. Oh. So I used to go bachata classes, salsa classes, all this stuff, and bachata. I studied a lot of bachata, like sensual bachata, Dominican bachata. So I learned all these styles, and obviously you have to listen to the music. So the Dominican bachata was a, the vibe I really liked. Then I learned a lot about sensual bachata, and then a lot of the sensual bachata, they would make a lot of mashups, like remixes of popular songs with the bachata. So I was like, how are they doing this so it sounds somehow in a bachata way? So obviously that stuff I found really interesting at the time. But obviously I stopped dancing because yeah, you know, I had to focus on the music. No, absolutely. Um, the next one is, um, how would you describe your music? What is your uh, audience target? Like if you, if you could give an identity, a name or something like to describe your music, how, what, what would it be like? What's the, what was it, what the what? I think it's a it's it's a bit of reggaeton mixed with maybe Latin trap with a bit like Spanglish because obviously I'm born in London so I'm kind of from here but my parents are Colombian so when I went to Medellin I just realized I need to be making this music and I only started dropping music in Spanish in 2018 so 2018 is when I dropped my first song um, called Talking Spanish it's a very basic song, you know what I mean? It's so basic, <laughs> like, it's really bad for me anyway. Uh, <laughs> I listen to that song, I'm like, damn, like, so basic. Talking uh, Spanish, like, okay. Um, <laughs> but then um, that's what started the whole wave. So I just wanted to make something like French Montana and um, Sway Lee. Okay. What's that song called? Unforgettable or? Unforgettable, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that song. So for yeah. me, I wanted that vibe, that rhythm. I just really liked that sound. So I was like, yeah, I need to make something like this, but with the Latin vibe, you know? So, so yeah, I did it, used a bit of English, a bit of Spanish, and then obviously I, wanted, I needed to get better. And then obviously I went to Colombia more, I shot a couple videos in Colombia, um, started doing more reggaeton. So I'd say it's a Latin trap hybrid of reggaeton mixed with a bit of English, a bit of Spanish, you know? You know what I feel like? It's something quite unique that it happens because if you think about it, in ge geographically speaking, when you were born like in England and you got these kind of influences from Latin, like, like it, bec it becomes a mix and it becomes something unique with an identity. So it's like Puerto Rico sounds like Puerto Rico, Colombia sounds like Colombia. And like somehow it just develops to a product where it's absolutely unique. No, you're right. Yeah. And, and it just feels unique. It just because I, I, I mean, I like your music because of that. It's because it's, yeah. it's like you. Yeah, um, yeah, it sounds like a bit more... I can't tell, like, oh, he sounds like, oh, he's got the tie bit, like, no, no, I can't. I can't really tell. So that's, that's great. That's unique. Um, now let's jump into the section two. I think this is, like, the most important part of the interview um, is what the most information is going to come up. If you don't get any of the questions or something like that, it's, you just tell me and we can, we can oh, follow. <laughs> okay, so first one. Um, what are the most important factors to have present when starting to work with an artist? I think you gotta be very open-minded. 
Um, you gotta make the artist feel very comfortable um, because at the end of the day, they may be meeting you for the first time. So you gotta make them feel as comfortable as possible. Um, so being open-minded to their ideas, how they work, you know, maybe they, they want some privacy before they warm up or maybe they want auto-tune on their vocals or effects while they're singing. And just being able to give the, the artist the, the experience when, when you're working with them. So I think it's, that's, the, that's like one of the main things is making an artist feel as comfortable as possible, I would say. Okay. How, how do you know when an artist is following the right or wrong direction musically and that they're not trying to force themselves through a musical genre that does not fit with the identity, tonality or performance? Um, I think identity or direction or what the musicality, I think that's a bit more specific. So in a way, that's something that they probably would know more about. But when it comes to like maybe musicality and helping them with the tone of their voice or how to approach a recording, that's where I feel I would come in. But if someone has a musical direction, I'm never going to tell them you shouldn't make that sort of music. This is not for you. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Or maybe I could advise them and say, do you know what? That feels a bit too high for your vocal. Why don't we put it a semitone down and let them listen to the song with the pitch a little bit lower? see if they sing it a bit more comfortable. You find a lot of the time, oh yeah, that sounds better, you know? Maybe I sing it in this tone. So it's just being able to assess a situation and say, how can I bring the best out of that artist or that situation, you know? But yeah, in terms of like music direction or genre or whatever they should be doing, I, I wouldn't have an opinion if, if someone wants to do a certain type of music. You know, even if I think they sound better in another type of music, that's that's what they want to do, you know. Okay, okay. I think yeah, that's. I mean, that's a quite important point of view because, you know, there are um, producers who are like also really straight to that. Is like, for example, like if you're gonna sing, you're gonna record Perreo or I don't know hip hop or something, and your vocals are not destined to like they they th you know you can you can perform it, but like if they are not fitting well in the genre, sometimes people can restrict you to that. But like your advice is more like. If that's what you like, like the result is gonna to talk to you about you. The result is yeah, what, it's what like, is what is gonna talk about you. I feel like people can get <laughs> experimental. Maybe if someone is trying to do jazz music and they're a rapper and it's just sounding weird, then you know you're gonna try and record it. But at the same time, it's like they're gonna. I my job is to make them sound as good as possible with what they've given me to work with, and I think that's a that's the skill that I like to have to be able to to make the artists come in with an idea, they're not sure about it and they leave and they're like, damn, like, do you know what? This sounds way better than I thought in my head. So sometimes that happens with all kinds of music. You, you just never know. But I think if someone is working in a studio I'm working in, it's because they have an idea of what they want to do and then we're going to take it to the next level. Okay, thank you very much. Um... In previous interviews, like that I've been watching about you, you mentioned that you are the type of vibes person. Um, how do you approach a case where your ideas and the artists do not match, and you get to the point where you have to decide whether to reject a project or to adapt it, to adapt yourself to it, or the artist to it, or record label pressure, you know? Um, I mean, sometimes there's a lot of sessions where. Someone's booked maybe five, seven hours and um, the ideas are just not happening. 
So um, it can happen a lot of the time where a lot of artists, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's happened. They've listened to music for the whole session and they don't want to record anything. So sometimes it can happen, you know, and I'm still going to get paid anyway. But then at the same time, it's like you cannot force someone to work on ideas and the ideas are not happening. So in a way, it's like you just have to adapt to the situation and be like, oh, why don't we just go for a walk or let's go for, for a drink or, you know, let's order some food, just relax. Let's go back to that beat again. Let's try attack it again. Oh, I don't really feel like this is for me right now. I don't know what it is. So sometimes these situations happen. I think the artist just wants to feel like you're another friend, a friendly person in the in the camp, you know? So that's your job, you know, to just assess the situation and just be a friendly face or make them feel comfortable enough to feel how they want to feel. So I think that's 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 quite important a lot of the time. All right. Um, that being said, this is this is a good question. So, what is your philosophy of work as a producer? And I mean, like, because um, I, I know that sometimes you are very minimalistic in terms of like less is more. Or you know, like I like to approach projects where I don't have to overload stuff. Uh, but also like with artists, like what's your, what's your philosophy of work? Like what's, the, what's that kind of vision, motivation that like, no, this is me, I'm, the, I'm this producer. I feel like, like what you said, less is definitely more. Um, when it comes to, is that, is that computer right? Uh, I think, <laughs> give me one second. Yeah, 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 it's recording. Uh, cool, so good. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. My approach to a lot of music, your ears is the most important thing. So they can give you all these techniques and say, oh, use 2.1 ratio and threshold and and say mathematically, you know, if you put two point something minus on this compressor, then that equals this on that. You know, I go for more listening, listening to things. That's what I go for. So. When I approach something, I usually listen to something and then I try to make sense of it, like what should be where. And I listen, like I look at it kind of like a, like a dome or something like that, like a sphere. And okay. then um, I think of like where that music should be s- s- placed. If someone were to put that dome on, on their head, you know what I mean? So they put like headphones or speakers, like what is that person meant to be listening to? So that's kind of the approach I go for is is where things should be in a mix. So I don't I don't even think oh okay I'm gonna use this for this and I'm gonna use this for this and this for that. It's it's gonna be a case of like um, listening to something and sometimes I might not even put that many effects on vocals or sounds. It's, I just kind of balance things out first. Then if I need to put effects on something, then I will put effects on it. So. I do have a lot of less is more approach. Sometimes a label or an artist might be like, oh, can I have a look at the mix? And be like, what, is that what you've done to it? And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, that's all it needed. But that's my approach, you know what I mean? Maybe they, they want someone to add all these things, but I've been in a lot of positions where you add so many things and you think, oh yeah, this makes it sound great. Oh, I liked it how it sounded originally. And then you did all this work. So for me, it's like listening to what the artists did, what they like, because a lot of 
artists have demo-itis and they like how the demo was sounding, that's what made them happy. So my job is like, okay, how can I make the demo a hundred times better? But not doing too much, but just, okay, the vocals here, the vocal can pop out a little bit more. Ah, the kick, the snare, let me pop that out a little bit more, but keep it in context. So yeah, for me, the most important thing is the ears. And then, yeah, I do have a less is more approach. Like I don't overload plugins. It's like cooking, like, you're not going to put paprika, turmeric, <laughs> cumin same. and all kinds of stuff in, in Sancocho, you know? Just like, because of yes. <laughs> yeah, like you just, you're going to have like certain, you might have your carrot, you might have your spring onion, leeks and potato. That's it. That's who you need. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why are you going to start adding? I don't know, mm. like. Because like I've got, I've got, I know a lot of people that they literally believe that Plugins are gonna solve your problems. They don't focus on the recording. Like that's that's something quite important that you mentioned in in Lavo's podcast um, about quality control, um, and that is absolutely important. Like being able to record properly, and then that's where you kind of approach it. That, yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's important to have a good vocal chain. Like I feel like if you start off good, then it means that when you get to the mix stage, you're gonna have less things to to be fixing. So yeah, use a good microphone from the start. Use a good preamp from the start. Do you know what I mean? And then once you do that, you can't go wrong. Any microphone that costs from maybe a thousand and up, you're gonna get a good sound. Do you know what I mean? Most big studios or decent enough studios, they have Neumanns or AKG microphones or Sony C800 microphones. You know, if you're using any of these microphones, you're gonna get a good sound. Like, so yeah. All right. Do you pre-plan your sessions or and projects that do you approach every session uh, differently or like why? Um, I think I usually start with drums okay. if I'm mixing something. Um, but then there might be a case of like there being a lot of vocals on a song. So then I might start with the vocals. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for me, it comes down to the type of song it is. So if I hear something with a beat and it's, it's like a proper hip hop banger, then I'll mute all the vocals and I'll start with the music first because the vocals are gonna sit on that beat. So for me, I wanna hear how the vocals are gonna sound on the proper beat. So yeah, sometimes I do start like that. But when it comes to like maybe recording, I might have some templates and I listen to some because I've recorded so many artists. I have so many templates of vocals, plugins that, you know, that I would have for somebody. So if I'm working with, let's say, Fredo or I'm working with gigs and then someone comes in the studio, they got a similar voice. I use those settings and then I change the settings a little bit for that artist. I mean, I've worked with Central C, for example, <clears throat> if somebody has his type of voice, they got that sort of sound in their voice mm. then I'm going to use those settings and then tweak them a little bit you know but um, yeah a lot of the time people start from scratch okay EQ and did it you know they do what they're doing I've got so many good presets that I just kind of pick I need to work fast sometimes you know keep consistency yeah as well. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so I mean I don't have like templates where like I throw in sounds and then everything's already mixed. No, I don't do that. Like I, <laughs> I, I kind of mix as I go along. So, so 
so yeah. Yeah, that, that's something that Michael Brower does a lot. Like he, he's got his desk and everything set up in a way that it just throws audio in and and it just works. And it just works. <laughs> so, but I think that you know is is a, is a different philosophy. Yeah, of yeah. Work. Cause, but at the end of the day, is is about what you know. Is about what you're confident about. So I think that's that's something that artists and producers should learn about. Like, get to know your equipment. Get to know what you're using, and and just keep going with it. Like the consistency. Thank you for that. Um, you probably mentioned this before, but like, do you, do you think having a closer connection with an artist outside your workplace? creates a more personal or concrete workflow when understanding new ideas or projects? Like, do you think the studio is only the place to share that or...? Um, I think it... I think it helps to a certain degree. Obviously, they're going to be more comfortable with you. But um, a lot of the artists I work with, I only work with them in the studio. I don't really hang out with them or nothing like that outside of the studio. So usually, because we work quite a lot and all the time, we end up forming friendships in the studio. So a lot of the times we're not recording. We might be talking about foolishness or, you know, listening to video. Oh, you heard this song. Wow, I'm not sure about this song. And you know what I'm saying? So you end up having a, a relationship with a lot of the artists in the studio anyway. But, you know, I feel like when, I, when I'm outside of the studio, I like to have me time and, you know, I'm not working. <laughs> so I'd rather be at home watching a TV show or or listening to a podcast or something, you know? Okay, it's like more like just workplace, workplace, home, home, me, me, it's like that. Yeah, because I'm <laughs> constantly working, so I'm constantly with people all the time. Like every day I'm working with different people. So when I'm not working, I need that <laughs> me time, you know? No, that's great, that's great to know because like some people might think like, Ah, but no, and I, you know what I mean? Like people get like that sometimes and because obviously there are all the producers who really like been working with people from the scratch and it's like years and years and they keep going and yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, like I've worked with loads of artists for many years. Like I've been working with like Nux, who's like an artist who's really blowing up right now, but I've been working with him for about five, six years. So from his first project, second, third project, I've been there the whole way. I've gone to his shows. You know, I've I've been there when he's started projects to like, you know, him winning the mobiles and now he's touring Australia. So I have a part in that process. So, so yeah, we, we understand each other. He can call me up whenever he wants to call me up and we have that sort of relationship, but a lot of it is based on music, you know? And that's what he, his main thing <laughs> is being an, artist. being an artist. And my main job is making sure he sounds good as an artist, so. Yeah, it's like a relationship anyway, you know? Okay. Um, uh, you probably answered this. Like, um, what is the best way to develop an, an artist from scratch when they are beginning to discover a musical identity, uh, a sound signature, that uniqueness that separates them from everybody else? Like, as you, you mentioned before, some people already have like their own style and, and that you don't like to obviously impose them stuff. Um, but like, what's the best way apart from like being open-minded? Like, what's the best way to develop them from scratch? Like, they don't know what direction they're in. They they really want to discover themselves. They they don't know what was the best way as a producer to start like giving them a direction. Um, you start off with the music they like listening to. So listen to the music they're listening to. What's on their playlists all the time. Um, What's that, what sort of music can you picture yourself doing? That's what I usually will ask an artist. 
Like, what's yeah. your favorite songs? Like, what song do you wish you could be on? And then based on that, you kind of start making that sort of music, you know? And the first song that an artist might do, maybe after five, six songs, they're like, oh, I hate that song. You know, it's not the song they want to be doing or showing to anybody. Um, so they need to develop, you know? It's like someone who starts drawing, the first drawing's the first drawing. And once they've done five or 10 drawings, they're going to get a better idea of how they're drawing, what techniques they have, what colors they like using, you know, maybe they don't like using colors. And maybe that artist becomes a black and white artist, you know what I mean? That's so their thing, yeah. That's their thing. So you need to work on several songs um, so that people can get an idea of what they they like doing, you know? So sometimes it will, it will take a while. So yeah, I work on about five or 10 songs, you know? Okay. Um, have you had to like pre-plan your productions prior to a session? Or like, would you recommend as like appropriate way of before like going to a studio because you know studio time is not cheap and there are people that are just coming in that and it's like eh, you know what I mean like how how what recommendations can you get them to like like how can I say like they get used to these habits to like before arranging a session in the studio that so they can save you time and headaches and you know I mean practice is always perfect so I'd always recommend artists to practice anything before they come into the studio to have an idea of how they're doing a song, not come to the studio with half a song, and then, oh, I'll write the rest of the verse in the studio, or I've got one verse left, or let me do it at the studio, because then they're paying for the studio time, and they're gonna waste their time, and they're gonna get frustrated because they felt rushed. So I always tend to like, usually artists will wanna come to the studio, if I'm working with them, with a song that they've already kind of got in their head. But it depends as well, you know, if I'm seeing this client all the time, they're constantly recording songs, they might wanna, might wanna make something from scratch. So it just all depends on, on that whole situation, you know? Okay. Um, when tracking artists, um, what is your methodology to achieve the best results? And how do you know what take is the take? Like, because like, for example, like, let me give you an example, like Michael Jackson, he, uh, Bruce Sweden, in one of his interviews, he's an engineer, he used to say like, Michael would just switch off the lights all the time and just sing completely dark. And he, he had to like, sometimes go out of the room because he just couldn't handle it. Like, you know, the best performances of Michael like came out like that, just like soft. You know what I mean? Or, I don't know, like how, how was your methodology with artists like to get, get out the most of them when tracking? Um. I mean, I was in a session today and the person wanted the lights off. So that's what happened to me today. They like really wanted the lights super low so that they could get in the mood with the song. And sometimes that works for them. So it's whatever the artist feels comfortable doing. I usually do a lot of comping. So I'll make an artist like sing that same part or find a section that they should be singing, get them to sing that part all the time. And then I comp it and listen to get the best of those takes. So as well as them feeling comfortable in the studio, having the lights low, whatever they feel they want to be doing, then essentially, yeah, you know, if that, that makes them comfortable, then yeah, you know, and then um, loads of comping, you know, I make someone just record loads of takes and then get, if they're not doing it right, I stop the song and I'll be like, you need to aim here and do this a bit better. And then we try to go again until we get the, the right, the right takes, you know? 
you know, uh, that, that probably might be interesting for you to know, but like I, when I, I've been doing this tracking process in the studio at Union and stuff, uh, I've been experimenting with this solid idea and never fails. Probably you, you can try it out. <clears throat> and it's like when people want to sing a, a particular, you know, rap or phrase or the chorus or something, and it's quite emotional or it's got this kind of anger into it, or I don't know. Um, I usually tell them when I, I just don't get it, the, the emotion probably is in tune, probably they sing in the, in the range it should be, like you say, the comping thing. Um, but sometimes what happens is like, I tell them, you know what, 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 what gets you to feel that, that real emotion? It's like, oh, I broke up with this girl, or oh, I had a bad day in my job, or like, no, I love my mom, or you know, like, and it's like, can you please take out a photo of your mom on the phone or, or whatever, just look at it for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds and, you know, sometimes it just gets them in that mood. It's, course, it's absolutely, yeah. it's, it's crucial to me. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why, but it just works. Just does something, yeah. And it's like, I don't feel in the mood today. I don't want to feel, and it's like, just look at that or remind yourself of that moment. And for some reason it just works. It's just weird. I don't know why, but I don't know. It just it I mean, it's, it makes sense, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, how likely do you suggest artists to learn about recording themselves to create demos? or any other purposes, suggestions you could advise to them? Again, make sure you have a decent home set up. You don't need nothing crazy expensive, but you know, if you've got a laptop, have a, you know, a MacBook Pro, doesn't have to be the latest one. Um, two, three years old, you know, make sure it's got a decent amount of RAM, get yourself a nice little sound card. You can get yourself an Apollo twin or something like that, the cheapest range. They've even got vaults now, UAD vaults, which are even cheaper than a UAD, or you've got focus rights, you know, you've got all kinds of sound cards. Um, learn how to use Logic, learn how to use Fruity, learn how to use Ableton, um, and just get better at recording yourself. Some artists have done that and they bring me the sessions and I put it on them. I say, oh man, what are you doing here? Like, why are you recording like this? Look at all these takes. I'm like, bro, you need to do this, yeah. do this, like da 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 da. I'm just straight up with people so that they can get better. And then once you put them through their paces, they're just gonna get better and better. Every time they bring something to you, be like, look, label this, do this, all these tracks, start hiding this, you don't need to do this. You know, just get people better at recording. So sometimes I have sessions where Someone will pay me just to look at how they do a session. And then anytime they're going wrong, I tell them, look, do this, or do you know what I mean? So that they can get better at recording themselves at home. So it's, it's like anything, practice, you know? You've got to practice and practice <laughs> like crazy. And following on that, should the artist know some basic technical language to at least being able to communicate their ideas more effectively to the producer or sound engineer? I think it's the engineer's job to kind of try and understand the artist more than the other way around. Okay. So, you know, sometimes an artist is not going to know what a high cut is and be like, oh, I don't know how to explain it. The amount of times us as engineers or producers have said, oh, I want to do this, but oh, I don't know how to explain it. Happens so many times. So, like, <laughs> your job should be like, do you mean this or do you want to do this and feel like it's underwater? Yeah, underwater. So, you know, you show them technique and then if that's the case, then they've learned something and now they become better at explaining themselves. So I think it's a case of they, they should do some research, but they're going to find out in the studio with the right people, you know? 
Have you had to work stuck on uh, to a brief uh, or compulsory construction instructions? How do you feel about it, and why will you or will you not prefer it? Like, like when they give you a brief, it has to be this and this and this and this. This kind of instruments. I don't know. Like, how is it? Like, because it's, it's, it's happened to me before. I mean, I was just telling you, I was just doing some work for a company, and the brief was, it needs to be this. Uh, it needs to be Latin trap. It needs to have like some kind of salser and, and some kind of horns. So I already knew what it has to be. Um, and it's not the style, the style of music that I normally do. But then in a sense, it was like, it's something that I got to do because it's the brief, you know? And then if you want that placement, then you have to stick to the brief, you know? A lot of the times it happens. There's a lot of productions and songs that I know I'm not, maybe it's not my forte or it's not what I'm strong at, but I'm going to give it a go because that's the brief. So sometimes you just, you just have to, you know? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, this is important to know as well. Have you ever had to encounter a situation of friction in the studio where you've had to manage the professionalism rather than your personal preferences? If so, how was it? How do you face it? What advice can you give to others who might face similar scenarios? Um, well, I've been in sessions where, you know, maybe an artist, they got their egos, they might bring loads of entourages and stuff like this. And then you got the people who manage the studios or the people who own the studios. They see what's going on in cameras and they don't like, hey, what's going on in my studio? Da -da 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 -da. They need to get out of there. So it's like, it's how you, damage control in a lot of situations, you know? So I feel like even though I'm in a situation where a studio session's getting out of control, maybe someone's getting too drunk or something like that, usually I'll speak with the, the best friends or the people that are really looking out for them and say, hey, look, man, he's a little bit drunk. Maybe you should get him in a cab home or something like that, you know, because people are starting to, you know, or, them, or maybe it's a, it's a case of like, People are just leaving mess everywhere. They're not, it's like, it's, it's not a studio session anymore. It's a party or something like uh, this. Yeah. So sometimes these things can happen. So where you, you can get mad and get angry, but that's not going to stop the party. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> not saying you should join in the party, but at the same time, it's like, it's like knowing to, to be a part of a situation and not not maybe be the the bad guy in the situation. Like everybody has to leave and then, you know what I'm saying? And make the situation more awkward. It's a case of like, you have to know how to react in every situation. And and sometimes you being professional and dealing it with it the right way, that will go back to management, that will go back to the record label. And then they'll be like, oh, do you know what? He really was a cool engineer or he was a cool producer. Oh man, he looked out for us. You know what I'm saying? So. It just depends on how you're going to be in a situation, you know? You know, I never thought about it in that way because, you know, there are people that, or they can just whisper something on the microphone about, yeah, let's just take that. And it's that type of situation when you when you have to, like, encounter it and it's like, I know. Okay, um, just getting to the last questions. Sure. Um, what do you think about record labels? Is it oh. a viable option to still consider any advice for new artists, contracts and that stuff? Um, from your experience? Um, I think a record label can help in so many situations and it works for different people um, in different ways. Like for me, I was in a label situation and it didn't work for me twice. So it's definitely not for me from what I've seen. 
um, but it works out for so many other people, you know. Maybe a publishing deal works better rather than an actual record deal. Um, so it depends on the artist, depends what you want to do as a producer, as an artist. If you're an artist and you really want to get into the pop world or you have a certain look, maybe a label could take you even further in your career. But um, I feel like there's so much you can do independently without a label anyway. So I would say explore and do as much as you can independently. And then once you get to a certain level, labels are going to come knocking anyway. So it's a case of like, labels are important to a certain degree and it's good to have a good relationship with labels. But at the same time, um, you don't need to be on a label to be successful. No, absolutely not. And do you think like, do you have to always, always be like careful with contracts or anything like that? Um... 100%, you have to... You have to have a good lawyer. You have okay. to have someone who understands law so that you sign the right contract. I've made mistakes before and then it's taken me ages to come out of a contract because I didn't look at one detail and you think you're looking for the right things. It's like, you know, you go for a picnic or you go to the beach and you oh, I've got everything. <laughs> I bought drinks and then you get to the beach and you're like, oh, I forgot this. You know what I'm saying? So contracts can be a little bit like that. You know what I mean? You think you're going over stuff, but someone who's a good lawyer who understands contracts, it's always good to get someone who understands that stuff. Because yeah, you could be missing a vital piece of information. Taking in account all your experiences and learning from your journey as a producer, how do you recommend to new producers to start? Like, where's the starting point? Okay, I've got this equipment, I've got my laptop, I've got MIDI keyboard, the Logic. I know I've, I've been using this, I've been producing these tracks. Where, where can I start to like, to get that growth? Um, networking or I don't know. I feel like social media, as bad as it is for certain things, it's really good for like personal development if you use it the right way. So like once you're kind of like confident in, your, in what you're doing to a certain degree, post some stuff online, use your stories, you know, post little clips of what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, just post some snippets of your music, see what people say, you know, you just never know who could be listening. Um, I think being consistent in any kind of field is where you're going to see results. If you want to go to the gym just once a month, you're probably going to see minimal results. So it's the same in a studio. You want to see results, you got to be producing regularly, you got to be recording regularly so that you become better at recording and understand what you're listening to. So it's the same with production, you have to practice all the time. You know? um, there, there is kind of the philosophy of Andrew, Andrew Sheps that he basically hates the, the fact that, you know, working free, non-paid work, right. just to start with, like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna start offering my services of production or yeah. just giving, giving out my beats because it could get me to a certain level of, you know, social, you know, cycle or something like that. Like, do you advise to ever do that or not? Like, no, you, you need to always... I think it depends on the situation. If you're doing it for friends and cool people or people that you're building a brand with, then maybe yes. But like, you know, a lot of the time you don't have to work for free. You know, at the end of the day, you have to value your time and time is money at the end of the day. So if you're providing a service, especially to people you don't know, who maybe want to use you, you can't just let use, people use you for free either. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you're just a free Uber driver. Just, <laughs> you know, just taking people everywhere they want to go just because you're going to do them a favor. They're not even going to give you the petrol money and nothing. And they want you to drive you 
and they wanted you to drive them an hour away. So it's the same with the music. Like, I feel like if you're working on a product and it's good enough, then why not charge for it, you know? Then someone's going to be willing to pay. Always. So those are the people you should be working with, especially if they're new prospective clients. Same time though, if you get the opportunity to work with Drake, you're not going to say, hey, Drake, uh, I, I want 2,000. Get the hell out of here. And then he doesn't even use your beat. You know, whereas you could have worked with Drake for free and then that song is going to get you thousands of other jobs because you worked with Drake. So it's judging the situation and seeing where it makes sense to work with someone for free. Do you know what I'm saying? So if it makes sense, then yeah, do it. But if it's someone who's getting 76 views on YouTube, they don't even get 100 streams on Spotify and now you're going to give them free music so nobody listens to it. Mm. Make them pay for that. Um, the other day, I found out one of your tracks in in Entrevillas, the the Netflix okay, series. Yeah. I, I literally typed that to you. I was like, no way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've been talking to my colleagues, my brothers, um, and he and then they they've been like, how how did he do it? Like, what's the steps that you should take to get to that level of like, you know, sync and stuff and sending music to libraries? Do you think that is only for streaming that you should be worried about? Is it is it only streaming or should you just work as well for like library stuff and sync? 100% like try and get some library stuff sorted you know you can find out the companies that are syncing the stuff find out who are the best sync companies um, try and set up a meeting with somebody at these sync companies and play them your music and say hey look I've got a bunch of music I've heard this stuff in this series I believe I've got this style of music myself so you know how about, you know, you use five of my songs, negotiate something for those songs, because those contracts, those people get paid a lot of money for using those songs. So there's little deals that you can make from those songs. Once you work your way up, you can charge more, and then eventually, you know, you're going to get royalties from, from all of this stuff. You know, sometimes it takes a while. I only just started seeing royalties now from a lot of those songs. Okay. So... You know, Entre Vias came out just last year, isn't mm -hmm. it? So I'm not going to see any of those royalties till probably this year or next year. Do you see what I mean? Okay. So you got to keep pushing and get people to listen to your music because whenever they use it, you know, it's going to be a good thing for you later on down the line. So imagine you got 50, 100 songs in series and all this stuff. Those royalties are going to take time, but they're going to come at some point, you know? So... I definitely recommend pitching your music to sync libraries and, and seeing what can be done, you know? Are there like filters in terms of like getting to these people? Like obviously I've heard of people like just go to LinkedIn, get your LinkedIn properly, CV and stuff, and then that's the way you to, that you get to it's them. It's a good way like, as well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Is that, is that the only way or do you think it's like... It's not the is... only way. Okay. Find people's emails, go on Twitter, like go on Facebook, find okay. out where these people are. You know, it's like I'm cool with the, the people at Sony, the finance people. I find out where they where they hang out and stuff like that. You get to know them and then they might introduce you to someone who might know somebody who needs a certain type of a job. You know, that's how a lot of jobs I've gotten is because I'm cool with the people at the studios and they say, hey, I know somebody who knows somebody. And then they listen to your stuff and hey, if you got anything, just send something over because you kept that relationship cool. So LinkedIn's not the only place. But just just make use of all the socials and stuff like that. Okay, so just to f final uh, finish, um, 
I've got some quotes by yourself. <laughs> okay. And I want to read it out loud because I think it's important. It's like highlights. Okay. You know, it's, I don't know. You know, I've done my homework. Like, okay. Um. So this is what you said to DJ that um, to like it was an interview during the pandemic. Okay. And I I just felt like, wow, that's that's good. Um, I want to be able to make to make music and not to think too much. Like, okay, I've got to make a radio friendly trap that gotta work in the clubs like this DJ will play it that kind of stuff like that was a good kind of phrase I got from that interview because like is you saying I'm not making music because I'm aiming to just be mainstream it's because um, you know I like to make music and yeah, I feel yeah. this about it like what do you think like the vibes of, or, or do you think like you should always think about as well what's the marketing what's happening in now I don't know I think obviously you want to feel current to a certain degree. So you're not going to make just music you're going to listen to yourself. But at the same time, you should make what you want to make as well. If you have a certain style of music you want to make and you're passionate about it, you should be passionate about it. Don't just think, oh, what can we make just for the club? Or what should we, if you like the club, and you like hearing music in the club, oh, I'd love this type of song to play in the club, then that's a good thing. But rather than say, oh, we need to make a song like Bad Bunny song, we need to make another Titi Me Pregunto like type of song. Then you're just going to copy the song and do what he done because he done it. It's like you got to do things because you want to do them. Like if you got, if you want to make a song for the clubs because when you go to the club, like I'd love to have that feeling of my song playing in a the club, then make that song for the club. You know what I'm saying? So do the things you want to do because you want to do them, not because someone else did it and now you want to do it. I think that's, that's kind of more my mentality that's the that's basically the phrase you said i'm trying to make music that's truthful to me yeah i think it's important you make music that's true to you because at the end of the day it's like you got to live with it once you put it out there you got to live with it do you know what i'm saying <laughs> so it's really important what you do you know it's not like instagram you start taking a picture down oh, i hate that picture i'm gonna delete it Music is a it kind of lives out there, you know, it's a part of you. I want to be the hardest work in the room. That's something uh, that you said for masters at work. Mm. Um, quite important phrase. Um, uh, in the music industry, they're doing a lot to try and capture what a lot of people can do independently. That's what another thing you said. Um, so you think like you should be independent to a certain point or get yourself a team? Oh. I think it's good to have a team of people like you're going to get further if you have a team of people there's always there's always a goodness in having the right people around you not you can't just do everything yourself it's impossible you know I can do something up to a certain point but then you're going to need someone to do the marketing you're going to need somebody to do you know the graphic design and all these things so rather than try and do everything yourself if you can do it good but if you've got a team of people, you're just going to get further because everybody's going to have different things to do in that team. It doesn't mean you might be the leader all the time. You just got to know to play your position at times, you know. So sometimes I'm a sound engineer. Another time I'm an artist. Another time I'm a songwriter. Another time I'm just a consultant. They just want me in the studio that day just to be a part of the vibes to help the song come along. But they don't want me to engineer you know, sometimes they might want me to assist and might not even want me in the se session. They just need me if they need me. 
in case anything goes wrong but they want me in the other room and I gotta know how to play my role do you get what I'm saying so yeah being a part of a team and knowing your role sometimes is very important and I, I think it's good to understand to do things to, to a certain point independently but it's good to be a part of a team as well you know amazing the antagony phrase of Dukus as well <laughs> Nowadays, anyone can make music and get lost. It's like a teardrop in the bloody ocean. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of it? You said it yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's true though, you know, like, so many people want to do music now. It's the same as like, people started jumping on YouTube, want to become YouTubers. You go on YouTube, you're going to find tons of YouTubers. So it's like, if you go on Spotify, you're going to find endless amounts of music and you might stumble across new musicians all the time so the level playing field is hard because so many people are doing it do you know what i'm saying there's more and more studios out there so so yeah bro this is the last question and let's finish with this because i think it's a quite important thing to to myself um personally um, when I was watching this kind of video about masters at work, you said something that really touched me, like really did. Because um, uh, I didn't know this about you, and I, probably this is something very personal to you, and just let me know if you're not comfortable talking about it. But like, to a certain degree, you went through a lot of mountains, climbing mountains. Like, you mentioned something about that there was a point where you were literally homeless and sleeping in hostels. Um, you know, like, and now you just got to that degree where it's like, Dirk was in the studio working for people. But I think, like, have you ever felt like that, that hunger is gone? Like, that, that what motivates you to come out of this? Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's so inspiring, man, because I never knew this about you. And like, from the beginning, you were the one that inspired me to become better. Like, tons of time you told me like, and I hope that you can even produce better. And like I'm now in that point where like I'm I'm, I'm gonna be a music tech and it's like yeah you you know, get, you've gotten better of course and it's like you know like but because I've got that hint from you you know what I mean and it's like this is the point of this interview like all the people can watch it and say oh you know like he did it I can do it mm. but like as you say you have to be the heart that's uh, working the room so what can you tell me about that experience that like you know it's it's quite tough you know I mean. Yeah, like I said, I was signed to a label and things didn't go well and I couldn't get out of my contract and I couldn't release any music. So I was very frustrated. Um, I was in a bad, toxic relationship where they didn't believe in my music. So it was very tough for me, you know. Um, I stopped doing music, I got angry, maybe I started drinking too much. Ah, oh, forget music, this whole idea. And then um, when things didn't work out with this other person, they kicked me out. I didn't really have a home. Um, so yeah, I ended up having to live in a hostel because I think I had too much pride at the time to speak to my parents and go home and like, you know, I, w I wanted to prove that I could do it. And then maybe I was in a little bit of a limbo for like, I don't know, a good two, three, four years or something like that. Just trying to get up out of that pit. And then when I, when I f started getting like my, um, my apartment, I got a little studio flat, then I got an apartment. I managed to get this iMac that my uncle gave me. It was like, okay, you know, I can actually do this. I can actually work on music and people like the music. So I don't know, that hunger, it stays. Like sometimes you have ups and you have downs like all the time. Like I, I was literally having a great Valentine's day. I came out of the hotel <laughs> and I crashed my car. 
So it's like, you know, just spent all this money on Valentine's and then now I've crashed. My... Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's not the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? My car's all right. I can still drive. I can fix that at another time. So things just happen, you know, and now I need the, the hunger to get the money to fix the car. So, <laughs> so it's the same as that type of situation. Yeah, that was a very low point and that makes me realize that place where I was at, I never want to be there again. So obviously I use that motivation and I think to myself, damn, you got to that point where you was living in a hostel. You didn't have no music equipment because you were too proud to speak to anybody for help. So sometimes you have to ask for help and, and be like, do you know what? I should have spoken with my mom. I should have spoken with my dad. And maybe I wouldn't have been in a hostel. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but um, no, those no. are little things that you have to learn, you know? Um, there was years where I had loads of money from music and, you know, I thought that money was never going to run out. So I'm buying Louis Vuitton, Balenciaga, you know, buying myself a Rolex. And then all of a sudden that money's not there no more. So then what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? And things are things are hard. You're having to sell all the name brand stuff you had on uh. eBay. And, and, you know, you're realizing like I've got thousand pounds pairs of trainers and I can't even pay the rent this month. What the hell am I doing with all these trainers? So, you know, as happened to me before, and I've realized to myself, do you know what? I need to value certain things much more, you know? So it's always up and down. You're always gonna have hunger to, to, to be in better positions and, and you have to keep that motivation because that's the only way you can, can be on top, you know? Man, thank you. Like, you, I always wanted to know about this and, and I think it's important for people to know because some people are like, oh, he's working in that studio for this, this set of record, record labels. And it's like, you know, they don't know anything about like what you've been through. Like you'd really hard to work it out. And yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's quite hard. It's not easy. No, um, it's not easy. Like, I mean, there's loads of situations where, you know, you might have loads of jobs this year. Like I was in a position where I was working with maybe three, four signed artists and they're paying amazing money to work per song. You know, I'm working on 40, 50, 60 songs a year and they're paying 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 per song to work on those songs. So yeah, you know, every month you're seeing money. You know what I'm saying? You're thinking this money's never gonna run out. But <laughs> the artist just got dropped. Now they're not working at the label and you thought, oh, this album, you know, what about the album we was gonna work on? Like, oh yeah, the album's not happening no more. Then another artist who he's working with, they got dropped. So now two artists got dropped and maybe you, you're gonna miss out on 40, 50,000 pounds now. And whoa, I, I thought, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's a then it's like yeah. this project that you thought you was gonna work on, you know, somehow your manager, their manager, they, didn't, they couldn't negotiate. Now you don't have that project. But that project was about 15 grand. Like, you know, that project, you know, and they said, yeah, the project's not happening no more. Yeah, we couldn't agree on a price. But like, why didn't anybody speak with me? So sometimes these situations happen. So it's like you have really good years where things are really happening and then you just got to be ready to, to work. And when an opportunity comes, you just got to be ready, you know? And some years are better than other years. Um, you know, this person might be the go-to engineer producer this year. And then another year it's you then another year somebody else. So you just got to be consistent. You got to be ready when it's your time. 
you can't take too many things personal because if you do, it's going to be mad it's all the time, time, you know? So, so yeah. Lucas, thank you very much for this interview. I'm so happy, like, you learn a lot. I, I think the guys learned a lot, like, thanks to my friends who are always out there to support me. Like, literally, they've been with me since the morning, carrying out and start from the uni back home, oh. you know. El almuerzo, mi mamá. Let's get this done. Coming back here is like you know, it's it's such a great thing to have as well, like friends and people to count on. And and I'm so happy, bro. Like, thank you very much. Oh, I re always give you the respect, and and I'm always aiming to get better to the point like you told. Like this guy is good. Dude, this guy's good there. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's all good, man. Thank you. Thank you, Lucas. Nice one, Jeffrey. <laughs> cool. El DJ Lacy Toy, la música se paró. Wow, wow, y cuando eso reotó, ahí me di cuenta que es bando de rap como yo. Yo, yo, and I live a week like Bambi. I could tell the way she done, she really want me. Yeah, yeah, no quita, pero tranqui. Y en el carro se quitó los panties. Yeah, yeah. And I live a week like Bambi. I could tell the way she done, she really want me. Yeah, yeah, no quita, pero tranqui. Y en el carro se quitó los panties. Yeah, yeah, yo no sé qué me pasó. 